Mother's Day. Um, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We started that back on Wednesday, and we're going to continue uh, in that section today. Um, and so we'll have Jamie lead us in our opening prayer, and then we'll get started. Dear Almighty Father in heaven, we're so grateful to have this opportunity to be here today, Father, to worship you, to study a portion of your word, and to let it guide us through our lives and let us learn from it so that we can be closer to you and, and better Christians and a better light amongst those around us. Father, we're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for his love for us and his willingness to, to go to the cross for us and be that ultimate sacrifice. Father, today we're grateful for mothers and we're grateful for them and the, all that they have done for us throughout the years. Let us continue to hold them close. We pray thus in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're still in a section where um, Paul is endearing himself to the Corinthians. He's talked about his ministry. He's talked about the, not only his ministry, but the ministry that they've been called to as well, um, how we have uh, received the glory of the new covenant um, and how that shapes our mindset um, at, when it comes to this earthly existence, uh, the, the eternal consequences, the eternal mindset that, that he lives by in his ministry. And we see that throughout chapter 5. And in chapter 6, we talked in our last class about uh, his encouragement uh, that they not receive the grace of God in vain, uh, saying now is the time for us to take the ministry serious, uh, that, we, that we recognize what God has done for us and we're not called to, to live our lives the same as, as before receiving Christ, but that that transforms that transforms us, and we see what that all-in type of ministry looks like uh, whenever he mentions in verse 3, giving no offense in anything, but commending ourselves in everything as ministers of God. And so, we're going to look through um, the rest of chapter 6, uh, but before we do, were there any thoughts from our previous class that, that were left unsaid? Okay, um, if I could have somebody read for us uh, the, the entirety of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay, thank you, Tony. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, 
by great endurance and afflictions and hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, the genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In, re in return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what pardon does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So we talked about in our last class what it looks like to labor together with Christ, um, as we see in, in verse 1, uh, and looking at what Paul did in his ministry, and that's, that's how he manifested Christ in his life. If you think of how, how Christ served um, in his earthly ministry, going through, going through the same kind of heart, the same kind of spirit uh, in his ministry in, in verses 3 through 10, and having, having an other person mindset, not thinking about himself, not thinking about uh, how, how he comes across, but, but really um, bearing his heart, sacrificing himself uh, for others. And so we, we stopped with verse 10, and so in verses 11 through 13, we'll, we'll try and address that uh, chunk, and then we'll look at 14 through 18. What, what is he trying to get across to the Corinthians? What, what, is he, what is he saying about himself? What is he calling for them to do? He's he's asking them to be to be real with him, to be genuine, and to sh to truly show their the, the same type of affection for him as as he has shown to them. Okay, uh, so so thinking about um, being open, being genuine. We've talked about that in some of our previous classes, um, sh showing sincere love. Um, Toward, toward one another, 
he, he speaks of himself in verse 11. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is open wide. Uh, he, he is not concealing. He's not manipulating. He's not... Uh, He's not being duplicitous in anything. Um, and he, he's not restricting himself. He, he's pouring himself out for them. Uh, and in contrast, he speaks of them in verse, in verse 12. Uh, you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Um, Sort of seeing how this lines up in, in the idea of thoughts uh, in, this, in this section. When we look back at chapter 5, verses uh, 20 and 21, whether, whether Paul's talking specifically about the Corinthians or talking about his ministry in general, he speaks of imploring as an ambassador, pleading that everyone be reconciled uh, to God. And then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, he's sort of talking about what he has done not being restricted, he just following what, what God has, has called him to do, how Christ has transformed him. And then Bringing it back in verses 11 through 13, he is specifically talking to them and talking about something that's serious, a, a, a serious problem that, that has to be addressed. Um, being restricted um, in their service to God. Paul's essentially saying, If, if you're not doing what you ought to do, it's not because of me and what I ha, uh, what, anything that I have done. It's not Paul's fault. It's, they, they have latched on to their affections. Um, and so in verse 13, uh, speaking to what Craig uh, brought up, now in return for the same, I speak as to children you also uh, be open. He, he's asking for them to be joined together in unity, in spirit, and in ministry. Well, what stands out to you in, in this part? We've already spoken in previous classes about um, how invested uh, Paul was with them. We're going to see later on in chapter 12 how he, how he views himself as a, as a father to them. And we see that a little bit in, in verse 13. He's speaking as to, as to children, uh, as his own children. So a couple of thoughts perhaps on that. Yes. So the, the next section, like 14 and following, it seems like the Corinthians are being influenced and kind of pulled away from, from Paul and their love, their love for Paul because of either a, a group of like false teachers in Corinth or maybe uh, just being influenced by... Um, by the culture in, in Corinth, um, just by, by unbelievers, 
kind of being pulled away from, from God and pulled away from, from Paul, their affections towards him um, because of some influence. And so he's, he's kind of warning them uh, not to do that. Okay, so, so, so that idea of being pulled away uh, from God, being pulled away from Christ. Um, yeah, very good. Um, what, what pulls people away from, from God. There are a lot of things that can do that, the, the worldly influences, and you can see clearly in 1 Corinthians how, how, how prominent paganism and idolatry was uh, in that area. You can see, um, as, you, as you look in the greater context of 2 Corinthians, how, how um, false teachers who are trying to discredit Paul, uh, trying to pull them, pull them away. And, and um, Paul's not necessarily concerned merely for himself and say, come, come on, Corinthians, you should really be following me. I'm the guy who, who you should be following. His focus isn't so much on that, but he, he's concerned about them closing themselves off from God. If, 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 they, if, they're, if they're rejecting uh, Paul, not wanting to work with Paul, questioning him and, and his authority, um, that's, that's just, just like them shutting themselves off from receiving Jesus. Good. What else? Yes, Tim. Um, what I'm thinking as I'm looking at this is their need to be vulnerable uh, to the point of understanding that they are being impacted by, like you said, society or idolatry. And uh, so that is something that we have to do uh, because... We are being deceived by Satan, by the world. It is important for us to be truthful about that and open about that. And if we're not being open about that, then that is something that is tearing us away without us maybe even knowing. That's, that's a good point. The idea of self-deception that, that, that we want to deceive ourselves as to how we are influenced. And one of the symptoms of that is, is not being open, not being vulnerable. Um, typically, we, we will isolate ourselves if somebody is trying to tell us something that we don't want to hear. If... Um, if I, don't, if I don't want to bear myself out and be vulnerable, it's, it's out of me wanting to do things for, for my way. Um, and, so, and so you see how vulnerable, uh, to what Tim said, Paul, Paul has been ju just bearing, bearing himself out. Um, and... And it's hard whenever uh, 
you pour yourself out in so much love and it's not reciprocated. Whenever, whenever, you, um, whenever you bear your heart out and, and j- j- just think of how, how children are, whenever you have, have sacrificed, whenever you, ba- uh, whenever you uh, live for them and help them and then what shuts them down? When, when, what, what shuts down communication? It's those affections of the world, those things that, that you know what, I don't want to uh, be open. I don't want to be vulnerable. There, there's things that are, that are keeping me from that kind of transformation, that kind of change um, that, God, that God wants for, uh, for us. You, you can see examples uh, in, the, in the scriptures, uh, both Old Testament and New Testament, of people who were pulled away from, uh, from Christ in, because of their... Um, because of those affections. You see uh, John Mark for a time abandoning the, the work with Paul in the book of Acts. You see uh, Paul writing in Second Timothy chapter 4 of various people who cared about this present age and, and abandoned him. And uh, we need to ask ourselves, do we let our affections keep us from being co-laborers with Jesus. Other thoughts on that? Yeah, Luke and then Bob. Yeah, I was thinking about Russ's comment about how the Corinthians' relationship with Paul had degraded and how that likely was something to do with the culture, at least somewhat influenced by it. It's not hard to see that that sort of thing happens today. It seems like media personalities on both sides want us to be in a continual state of outrage. And we're just not made to be angry all the time. And when you're like that, it, it leaks out in other areas that are unrelated just because you're just angry all the time. And I think, we've, I think we can all see that that's happened in places where relationships between brethren have broken down just because people are just so ready to be angry all the time. So I, I think that same thing happens today. That, that's, a, that's a very good point. Yes, Bob. It seems like the word affections here, Paul is being extremely diplomatic uh, with them and soft. But uh, we know what that means. Affections are things that I desire and things that I might even lust after, as one would tell us. And those are the things that where do they end up? Well, James away from God and and it's it's our hearts and what we go after we can see in in second Corinthians here that there seems to be some fascination with these these false teachers that have been in their presence some of their hearts have been turned towards them there may be other things he's referring to also but that one's pretty apparent they're listening to the wrong source and they need to turn their affections back to the one that they should be on, and that's Jesus Christ. So Paul's reiterating that to them to get them to see, I'm not your problem. 
It's not my preaching and what I do is your problem. It's your problem is in your heart. And he's trying to get them to see that. And that's, that's the same thing we struggle with today with, with sin in our lives. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good way of putting it that um, he, he, uses, you, he uses that term affection, but what, what, would, what would we honestly say is our love, is our passion? Um, and, and those things, if they're not Christ, they can be idols. And, and, so, and so many times people would say, an, an idol can't be something that's good, can it? Well, anything that we put really above Christ, above submitting our will to, to the Father, um, is, is idolatry. Um, I, I appreciate Luke's comment uh, earlier about just how that can seep in today, um, wh- whether it's um, sh- uh, shutting ourselves down, shutting down communication, not being willing to listen uh, to to the word, or even to one another, as far as as far as um, whenever my affections are. Myself, my way, insisting that I get the last word, insisting that um, I do things for me, um, that it's a constant struggle. And we're all called to, to soften, to soften our hearts and be open to working together. He sees us as all being connected. We, we, we are designed to be connected with God. That's how it was originally in the garden. We, were, we are co-laborers with God. And so see, seeing God and Christ and Paul and one another working together in that, and so uh, we see in in verses fourteen and following that that Paul has a call, ha- has an application uh, to that. In verse fourteen, uh, he says, "Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers." That that's an interesting uh, phrase. Um, this idea of being other yoked uh, with unbelievers, um, that word really appears only here in the New Testament, and it's not really a word that uh, existed in, in ancient Greek, um, according to what I had found uh, in the Septuagint. You can see uh, it, this word used in Leviticus 19.19, 19, where, where uh, the law said that you are not to yoke together two different types of animals, uh, a, a mule and an ox and things like that. It, it just doesn't work. Um, and so uh, as we look at... Uh, his ideas, his reasoning, his, his plea to them, what, what stands out to you uh, in this? 
What does this look like? Why, why does Paul describe their labor or his call to them to, to not be uh, unequally yoked? Because this is warring factions within themselves, not in personally, but also within that group. There's this First Corinthians is a good example of those warring factions amongst themselves, and the division and the unproductiveness of that. And so, where this will lead? So they're they're closed off of their hearts toward Paul, isn't for Paul's sake, but for God, but also for in chapters eight and nine about how then they go about treating others. And so he's asking specifically about their generosity uh, in general, but then also in what they had promised to do also for the churches in Jerusalem. And so you have these warring factions, then they're going to restrict themselves even from these other individuals who do need their help. So not just from God, from others, like while you're still in this turmoil, you don't have things figured out. You're, you're, you're worrying about superficial things and um, the things that you've yoked yourself to. Now you can't even plow a straight row. Uh, all the things that you wanted to be doing are now ineffective. And so it's not just that sin and things like that, but just even the, things, the good things that you wanted to do, now they can't even be accomplished because you're trying to go in two different directions at the same time. You know, um, James talks about that being the double-minded individual. And that's, that's kind of what this is. You want, it, you want it both ways. You want to keep doing these both things, and you just can't. And so you, he's calling to them to really make up their minds who they really want to be following, uh, because that's what these false teachers have come in. And Paul has addressed this with other churches, too. You've been waylaid by false teachers that try to preach some other gospel, some other way, and it's not, it's not what you actually need. It's not the way to be going, and you're now divided over this. And so the only remedy for that is, well, to make up your mind. Who are you going to choose this day? Whom are you going to serve? Because all the rest of this stuff is all hinged upon that decision. And Paul has been making his case before this, and after uh, chapters 9 through the end of the book is his <laughs> readmittance of his case for them of the message that they have received through his ministry and the others working with him that these are the things that we have been preaching. And I don't know what these other yokels have been preaching, but clearly it's not this. And these are the things that God, God aspires for us to, to embody and so, if you've been waylaid by um, fancy preachers or teachers um, having itching ears or things that, you know, Second Peter talks about, you know, but they're, they're great swelling words, but they just have nothing to them. But this is the true substance, and you need to make up your mind on what, what you're going to follow. Good, uh, good thoughts on all of that, trying to uh, ta uh, talk about some of those things that um, 
how they, they had issues that we see in 1 Corinthians of those divisions and how they, they were shutting themselves off from working together. And as we'll see in, uh, uh, see in chapters 8 and 9, how it, it cuts them off from, from being united with, with uh, other Christians, even in different locations. And so... Um, so, thinking about what are those things that they are yoking themselves to. D- d- just one point, and then we'll get to some, some more of our comments. We are all yoked. Nobody is in isolation. Nobody is by themselves. We're not designed to do that by ourselves. Um, and, and so, asking, asking that question, um, it, it doesn't say... I don't know necessarily if this is the point that, that Paul's getting at. It doesn't say, don't be yoked. It says, don't be unequally yoked. And so, so thinking about what that actually looks like, how that, how that is manifested uh, in, in our lives. So, yes. Yeah. Um, I think that we see such an emphasis, not only from Paul, but from all the new Uh, Testament writers, all the New Testament epistles, on oneness, oneness with Jesus, the kind of oneness that Jesus and God have that needs to be um, replicated in our body. I think that goes back to Jesus's last words with his disciples before his crucifixion, like John 14 through 17, what he says to them and what he says to God in his prayer emphasizes over and over that you need to love one another. He even goes so far as to say, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples. I would perhaps finish that sentence with people will know you're my disciples if you um, are neighbors the way I demonstrated to you in the parable of the Good Samaritan, that that's how people are going to know you're my disciples. And certainly that matters. That's what the point of the parable is about, that we need to be a neighbor to everybody. Those are the kinds of kingdom people he wants us to be. But that's not what he says to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. I might think he would finish that sentence with, people are going to know you're my disciples if you behave differently from the world, if you're moral and they're immoral. And obviously that is important. And Peter tells us later in one of his letters that people are going to think you're strange if you don't act like they do. They are going to see that difference. But what he says to his apostles before he goes to the cross is the way people can know you're my disciples is if you love one another. And he says it's a new commandment. He says that repeatedly, this is a new commandment. And I've heard people um, discussing that. Well, what's new about it? And a lot of times we go to his crucifixion that, you know, that's new this, to this extent, which there could be some foreshadowing there. You know, I'm not saying there isn't, but I think it, within the context of what's just happened, him washing the disciples' feet and what he's talking to them about, I think it's more natural within the context of the um, events and what he's saying that he's talking about what you just witnessed from me. I want you to be this humble and this sacrificial to this extent. I think what's 
a look, what's new about that is that the people of God, after Jesus goes back to heaven, what does he leave them with? The spirit. In fact, he pours out the spirit on the apostles in a way that he's never poured it out on anyone through all of mankind. And he leaves that spirit with us also. And what else does he leave us? Well, eventually, after the, these apostles and other inspired men wrote down words, he left us the words of the New Testament. Well, what else does he leave us? That we need more, frankly, than any of God's people have ever needed before in history, one another. And that's, I think, because he's not leaving any leaders physically on earth anymore. So I think he says that when he talks to God in that prayer in John, he says, I kept them in the faith when I was here. Now I'm going to be gone. So I think that's a clue that he's giving us. Well, not a clue. I think that he's just saying why it's so important now that you all need one another in a way that you have never, or that God's people have never needed one another before. And I think that when the spirit is poured out on the apostles and brings to remembrance all the things Jesus said, that's one of the really important things that they remember. And I think that that plays out in the fact that almost every epistle, if the theme isn't about unity and oneness, there's something mentioned in almost every single letter about it, even if that isn't a major theme. And a lot of the major themes of the epistles are about oneness and support and edification and admonishment and love. And the apostles emphasize that. And I think that they show that also in the, what they do with money that's put into their hands um, I think over and over we see from the very get-go that they use that money, the money that is given to their charge, they also use that to edify and build up. And Jesus says people are not going to see that as exclusive, the fact that you love one another and are tightly knit they're not gonna see that as cliquish or exclusive because what that does in reality is turns us, it equips us. I don't, you know, it equips us to go out and be kingdom people and be neighbors to everyone and to love everyone and to show Jesus's light to everyone. But within the body, he's, they, we are over and over told to build one another up to see to one another's spiritual and physical needs and to love one another and to be long-suffering with one another and to put up with one another and to encourage one another. It's just a theme that's repeated nowhere else to this degree, anywhere else in the Bible. Not that God didn't always want his people to love one another and not that there isn't a psalm, I can't remember where it is, that talks about how beautiful it is when... Um, brethren get along. It's like oil running down on the beard. It's what he's always wanted. But Jesus, I think in the last time that he has with his apostles says this matters more than it ever has before. And he kind of tells us why. And then I also see the apostles living that out and modeling that for us and repeating it over and over and over how important it is. Yes, 
Yeah, <clears throat> appreciate that comment. Um, my comment is more of just about the word unequally. It is that word that's put in, that God put in there. <laughs> it, it, it is a big struggle for me to understand exactly what that is talking about. Uh, it seems like from my thinking that why would we want to be yoked at all? And so it, does that word with an unbeliever, um, so d does that word unequally have something to do with just the nature of being yoked to an unbeliever, or is there a way to be yoked to an unbeliever that is acceptable, uh, an equal yoking, in other words? Or what does that word exactly mean? Anybody ready to answer that one? Wonderful question. Uh, John, I don't know if your comment uh, ties in with that. I do have some thoughts, but I, I, I will open that up for a discussion. Before I share my two cents. I, I was just going to say, the, the word that keeps coming up in my mind throughout this chapter is conviction. Um, but I think we have to ask what the conviction is actually about. Because, I mean, in 1 Corinthians, they had convictions just about the wrong thing a lot of times. They had all these divisions, right? So, but I don't think Paul's saying divisions are inherently a bad thing because he's saying here, don't be, you know, he's drawing a distinction. He's, you know, in later verses, um, what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness, right? So there is a proper place for division. Um, it's, it's just, what is that? And the word he's using here is unbelievers. So what is that distinction? It's belief in Jesus Christ and what he did, right? That is, that is what forms, forms the entire basis here of all of this. And I wonder in a group like this, right? It's like, this is what we need to be concentrating on is what fundamentally unites us? What is the distinction between our group and outside, right? I wonder that for America, too, anymore. It's like, what actually unites it? It seems like things are getting frayed more and more, and I struggle to think, what at a baseline level actually unites all of us? Um, and so that, that to me, is, is this big distinction here, is belief, right? Um, and then how that, how that comes into play in our lives. That's a good point. You can see that God is a God who makes distinctions. Like he, he separated the light from the dark e even in creation. And you can see how um, e even in the old law they were called to make distinctions. And, and the priests, whenever they determined whether something was leprous or not, they were making those kinds of, those kinds of distinctions. Uh, so your question was, what is that distinction? Is it something that is just something that I don't agree with? Or is it, or is it truth and error? Uh, the, is it idolatry? Is it, is it unbelievers? And we'll, we can talk a little bit about what that is. Um, whether it's those false accusers of Paul, if they're trying to uh, do not yoke yourselves with people who are trying to discredit Paul. Um, or, or try to pull you away from, uh, from this ministry. And, and the nature of two, animal, two unequally yoked animals is that the stronger animal is going to wear down the weaker animal. 
And, um, and so if, if we uh, try to convince ourselves that uh, I, I won't be influenced that much by, by the world, uh, that we're, we are deceiving ourselves in, in, that, in that respect. Tony and then Phil. Yeah, I don't think the, the unequally is talking about like a, a strong Christian being yo- unequally yoked with a weak Christian. No, or a type A personality being un- uh, yoked with someone who also is not a type A personality. Uh, that that might cause a lot of conflict. And those are just through relationships have to be worked through. Mm-hmm. That someone who is a strong Christian, what are they to do? They're supposed to bear with the weak. Like th- God is not calling for this of like an upheaval of of what our Christian community is going to be comprised of, but just what is the direction that you're going to be going in? And so, like they were uh, accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of the devil, that he says a, a kingdom divided cannot stand, and it's it's polar opposites. So then also you have like in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 talking about unbelievers. And I think that's what he's actually talking about here also. Isn't people who don't profess God because these false teachers, whoever these individuals are that Paul has really been addressing himself that have called themselves again super apostles, that they have been yoking themselves to these people and he is calling them I think essentially he's calling them unbelievers because what happened with the children of Israel when they had uh, the spies go into the land, you had one telling one report, the opposite report of what only two individuals were telling. They yoked themselves to this one report and not to the other, and they didn't enter in. Not because they didn't know that God existed, but because of their disobedience and therefore unbelief. So you have individuals here who are trying to pull them apart. And don't be yoked with individuals who want to pull you away from God in the wrong direction from God. Not that we're not working together, trying to figure it out, and that we may have disagreements, but that's not even even the same universe of what he's talking about here, of being unequally yoked with, he says, Belial, with the devil. How can you even begin to say that you're following God, but then also say that in another form, essentially you're following the devil too? They can't coexist. You can't serve two masters. And again, he's put them at a crossroads. You need to decide who you're going to be following because you just can't keep following down this path. Very good. That that idea of I appreciate how you how you worded it, um, and you can see in, in Hebrews three that idea of um, it's not recognition of the existence of Jehovah God, but how you live your life, um, walking in submission, walking by faith, as we saw. Um, back in chapter 5, uh, that the way that the false accusers were, were conducting themselves and wanting to pull them away from Paul to have their own following, that was not in line with, with God. Yes, Phil and Job. Yeah. I don't know that I have a lot to add, but, and I've never yoked together two animals, but I can, 
I can, in, I can picture how ineffective that is when you have two animals pulling in different dir directions. Uh, and I think the contrast he's making is, to Tony's point, very severe. Righteousness and lawlessness, what does light and darkness, Christ with Baal, the temple of God with idols. I mean, he is, he's saying they should have nothing. They are, they are pulling in opposite directions. And, and these relationships, you can see the describing words of these relationships. Um, being yoked, fellowship, communion, accord, having par, uh, part together, agreement. Just the, this is what we're called to do and, and how that, what that looks like. Yes, Joe. Just kind of further on that point, uh, where what I get from it is where it's like the, the old two coats. It's like you were in the past, you had this old coat. Now that you're in the Lord, you need to have a new coat. You can't stay with, you know, these type of people that are still doing the things and still claim, oh, I'm still, I'm with God now, I'm following you. But it's like, well, you're not. You're not letting go of, of the old. Um, and we learn in chapter 5 where it's, you know, if you're in Christ, you, you need to be made anew. So you need to let go of all the old things. And, you know, you can't be with somebody who, or, or associate with, with folks that are still perpetuating the old things that you used to do and claim to be in the Lord. That, that, that's a good point. Um, a couple of other quick comments, because uh, I think verses 16 through 18 are very powerful, that um, Jesus associated with tax collectors and sinners. Like, he, it's, it's not that you have no relationship whatsoever uh, uh, with others not following God. Um, if you, if you are married and then you you follow, follow Christ and become and become a Christian, you're not called to. I'm gonna cut off my relationship with with my spouse or divorce them because now I'm I'm yoked to Christ. No, it's not saying be done with that. But but looking at the the impact of our relationships. Um, why, why does being unequally yoked tend to lean the ungodly way? It's because I have enough problems of my own trying to, trying to follow, trying to submit. And so if I yoke myself to somebody who, who's, who's not following, who's not believing, then it's, it's two against one, essentially. I'm trying to uh, fight off uh, double unbelief, as it were. Um, Let's look at verses 16 through 18. We're, we're almost out of time. Um, for you are, or we are, the temple of the living God. We have to keep that in mind, that we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You, you see that covenant promise that, that God has made, um, and, and Paul's pointing out that, that God's covenant relationship with them is in jeopardy. That's really what it boils down to is your relationship with God is in jeopardy because of affections, because of, of who we choose to yoke ourselves with. Therefore, 
Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Um, we're, we're called to, to come out or to purge out that uh, that evil. Um, you can see uh, Paul alluding to that same passage in 1 Corinthians 5 uh, when there was a discipline issue there and saying, are you being, uh, are you being yoked to leaven? Um, and you see that influence there. Um, and, and just seeing these promises, these are promises that God has given them and you can see even in chapter 7 and verse 1, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. These promises, think, uh, thinking in verse 18, it sounds a lot like uh, the the promises that God made to, to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And, and that's extended to all of us. We, can, we are children of the king. And, but are we acting that way? Are we, are we yoking ourselves with Christ? Are we laboring with him? Or, um, or are we having fellowship with lawlessness and darkness? excellent class, um, and uh, we'll go ahead and start with chapter 7 on Wednesday. Craig will be doing chapter 7 for us. So thank you all for your participation.